Welcome to Bethel Christian Fellowship. We are a house of prayer for all nations, uh, where strangers become friends, friends become strangers, and then... Uh, so, <laughs> is anyone awake? Yeah. Okay, that was an accident. It was a pure accident. I didn't do that on purpose. But now you're awake. So um, uh, we are uh, a place where strangers become friends, friends uh, um, then become family, and family become sent ones. So we are so glad to have you here. I'm Pastor Andrew Gross, Associate Pastor. I want to welcome both those of you who are here in person, also those of us who are joining us on the digital balcony. And uh, it is so good to be together in the presence of the Lord this morning. Uh, just a few announcements here. Uh, we are, for our, our, in addition to our regular uh, offering, we are receiving our annual missionary love offering. And we've got intercultural workers all around the globe, and hopefully you picked up this little uh, uh, handout here that's got a picture of uh, our, our intercultural workers, and they are truly all over the globe. Uh, every year, what we do is we, we, we take a special offering for them, and then we give them a special Christmas gift in addition to the regular support that we offer for them. So uh, we've actually got a little PowerPoint um, to uh, remind us. Dave, Colleen Ogren, Jim and Annette Olson. <clears throat> we've got the younger Holmgren. Okay. We've got the John Junia Varghese. Got Toon Sierra. Beautiful child. And of course, we've got but the minister with his Tanzania. Of course, we've got the Clarks. And of course, we got the other, the younger Rasmussens. So uh, thank you so much for uh, all the support that you've been giving them, and let's, let's bless them with an end-of-the-year uh, gift that really says that we, we love you. Um, in, in addition to gifts, uh, all of you should have received an email this week uh, regarding a great answer to prayer. Um, God is already on top of this it is, It's Time campaign that we have been doing, and he's already answering prayers about that. He's already providing for that, and so I want to uh, encourage all of us to continue to uh, press into that, um, give to that, uh, and, and, and I'm very excited to see what God does both here and in Tanzania. So, uh, <clears throat> another little note, want to make sure that you guys all set aside December 11th from 1 to 4 p.m. right here at Bethel Christian Fellowship. We're going to have an open house retirement farewell party for our dear Liz Kimmel. Liz uh, we are very sad uh, to <clears throat> have Liz retire, and we know, of course, we're happy for her, too, because she's got all kinds of wonderful plans for her retirement. She's not slowing down one little bit. I, I, I predict, Liz, you're going to be one of those, those people who uh, says that in retirement, I have no idea how I used to get my job done, So, because uh, you, you've got so much good stuff uh, planned. Uh, and... Uh, we want to send her off well. We want to surround her with a, a big Bethel Christian Fellowship hug um, on uh, December 11th from 1 to 4, uh, right 
right here. So if anyone has any questions about how they can help out, um, Cherry over here uh, has, has, has got some jobs for you to do to help out with, uh, with Liz's retirement. Um, uh, and uh, lastly, I wanna, I wanna do just a quick follow-up. Uh, thank you so much, uh, Cherry, for sharing last week uh, about the importance of mental health, the importance of addressing that inside the church. Uh, there were several handouts uh, from last week, and, and we, we've still got them out. We'll keep them out as long as supplies last, and uh, go ahead and pick those up. They're out in the lobby. Uh, I also wanted to say, if you needed a, a, a specific roof, you needed to talk to somebody uh, who is a mental health professional and who can help with that, uh, the church has got uh, a, a list of um, people we, we refer to, of professionals we refer to, and we'd be happy to share some names with you, but uh, um, rather than just uh, leave that list out, uh, it's best if you come talk to one of us in the office. Uh, uh, me, Pastor Steve, Liz, Cherry, um, uh, Pastor Justin, uh, Sylvia, um, and we'll be happy to help you up with that. Um, okay, and then, and then finally, to wrap up, uh, those of you with, with little babies, little babies, we are uh, holding off... Uh, starting the nursery right away, and instead we're releasing the babies uh, right about now, about 15, 20 minutes into the service. It uh, gives the babies just a little bit uh, less time apart from mom and dad. So if you do have one of the little ones, what we call our littlest big house, nursery, uh, you can go ahead and bring them to the nursery now. So with that said, I am going to dive into... All right. Well, I knew I was going to do that. I knew I was going to do that. Okay. All right. Yeah, now, now that I've got you really awake. Um, so, uh, this morning, my first time doing PowerPoint in a while here. Um, this morning, I have got uh, a message, and the, the title of the message, we can get that going here. All right, I have this very intimidating title, The Gift of Glory Wrapped in Pain. I don't know if anyone's ever received a wonderful gift, but it's, it's wrapped up in a really ugly package. Anyone ever experienced that before? The, the package is so ugly, you don't even want to open it. You don't even want to find out what's in it. And uh, uh, many times, God gives us gift like that. It's a, it's, a, it's a gift of something beautiful, a gift of the glory of God, but it's wrapped up in something painful. Uh, <clears throat> now, to, to help us dig into this, I need to tell you, uh, just, I need to, uh, um, you need to humor me with letting me tell you just one more story, at least. I, I'm not going to promise it'll be my last, but at least one more story from my sabbatical. This summer, you guys blessed me with a three-month sabbatical uh, which I, I and my family desperately needed. Thank you so much. Uh, but uh, uh, one of the cool things that had, there are many, many cool things that happened on that sabbatical, but one of the cool things was that I got to take uh, a trip to the Grand Canyon. And uh, uh, if you've never been to the Grand Canyon, you should know that no picture, uh, no photograph, no film, the, the, the beauty of the Grand Canyon is so breathtaking. The very first time I saw the Grand Canyon, 
uh, this was back in uh, 2003, I was, I, literally my jaw dropped when I saw it. Um, we had been driving along uh, 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 right next to this much smaller canyon, and I thought that was the Grand Canyon. I was just blown away. That's so beautiful. Then, then we drove up to the actual Grand Canyon, and, and my jaw did actually drop. I just involuntarily, I, I, I couldn't believe what I saw. So for part of my sabbatical, I wanted to kind of relive that. Uh, but this time what I did was I, with my oldest son, Joe, we uh, went whitewater rafting down at the bottom of the Grand Canyon. And uh, it was a, a five-day journey, and uh, we, we had a fantastic time. I, I lived to tell about it. <clears throat> However, what's funny, or uh, funny now, it wasn't really funny at the time, days before, just a, a couple days before, I, ha I got a, a lower back And uh, I don't know if you've ever had a lower back injury, but they can be pretty debilitating. They kind of impact everything. So uh, my lower back was in quite a bit of pain. And as we were uh, driving into the Grand Canyon, we were already with the group of people we were going to go whitewater rafting with. Uh, they were showing videos about the history of the Grand Canyon. And story after story, person after person died in the Grand Canyon. And so here we are. This is this is this story. This, these stories are taking hours. So we're, we're we're driving and we're taking hours and hours. And it's like this person died, that person died, that person died, that person died. All the while, my pain is it's not going away. Okay, my pain is actually kind of getting a little anxiety was spiking. So uh, and 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 of course I had to ask myself, uh, is this foolish of me? That my taking I'm taking this huge risk. Uh, you know, risking myself, risking my oldest son, the, the people around me. Because here, here's the thing about whitewater rafting in the Grand Canyon. Once you're in the canyon, you're not going anywhere. Get to the end, okay? <laughs> you, there, 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 there's two ways to get out of the Grand Canyon once you're in it. Uh, one is to the end, which we doing that full trip. Uh, the other is partway through the, the Grand Canyon at, at this point at the at the at the, the where the deepest uh, you climb out. Um, it's a it's a five thousand foot climb, uh, oh, miles um, takes all day long, and uh, that that's those are the two ways out. You know, I mean, they could helicopter you out. That's uh, I think that might be a little expensive. So didn't uh, and uh, so so here is what thinking to myself. This this is maybe stupid, Andrew. What you're doing. I, I want to relive this moment of awe and wonder that I had experienced years before, and, 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 and here I am jeopardizing, you know, my son's, sa you know, <laughs> his safety, my, my, uh, the, the safety of the people I'm with, my own safety. Uh, <clears throat> and um, so I'll get back to that story later in the message, what, what happened. I'll get back to the story. But I want us to look together at the book of Acts. We're continuing uh, the book of Acts. Uh, last week, Cherry kind of jumped ahead several chapters. Uh, we, we, won't, we won't be mad, too mad at her about that. Um, uh, but we're going to go forward to chapter six. And uh, uh, so chapter six, Pastor Steve last week told us the story of church created this group of deacons, uh, people who would help apostles of practically taking care of, of people. One of them is this fellow named, in verse 3, he was 
So we're going we're gonna to find out more about, uh, about Stephen today. Um, in, uh, uh, we, we won't read this whole, this whole thing, but, but um, Stephen was the first martyr. He was the first Christian martyr, the first person who died with his physical body for Jesus. So let's, let's find out what happened to Stephen. If you could start with me in chapter 6, verse 8. It says, And Stephen, full of grace and power, was performing great wonders among the people. So far, so good. Verse 9. But some men from what was called the synagogue of the freedmen, including Cyrenians and Alexandrians, and some from Cilicia and Asia, rose up and argued with Stephen. But they were unable to cope with his wisdom and the spirit by whom he was speaking. Then they secretly induced men to say, We have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. And they stirred up the people, the elders and the scribes, and they came up to him and dragged him away and brought him before the council. So, so far it looks like Stephen is living out the same thing Peter and some of the other apostles before him had been living out, dragged before the council, and he's living out what Jesus had lived out only shortly before this. Verse 13 so similar to what happened to Jesus. Uh, they put forward false witnesses who said, this man does not stop speaking against this holy place in the law. For we have heard him say that this Nazarene, Jesus, will destroy this place and change the customs which Moses handed down to us. And all who were sitting in the council stared at him, and they saw his face, which was the face of an angel. Starting in chapter 1, Chapter 7, verse 1. And now the high priest said, Are these things so? Now, I, I'm not going to reread all of Stephen's entire message. I'll, I'll come back in a moment and comb through it. But jump with me down to the end of the story, the end of his message, in, starting in verse 51. Starting in verse 51 of chapter 7. This is the end of Stephen's message. You men who are stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears are always resisting the Holy Spirit. You are doing just what your fathers did. Which one of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? They killed those who had previously announced the coming of the righteous one, and you have now become betrayers and murderers of him. Talking about Jesus here. Who received the law as ordained by angels you did not keep it. Verse 54. Now when they heard this, you can imagine, there was not a good reaction. Verse 54. Now when they had heard this, they were infuriated, and they began gnashing their teeth at him. But he, being full of the Holy Spirit, looked intently into heaven and saw the glory of God. And Jesus, standing at the right hand of God, and said, Behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they shouted with loud voices and covered their ears and rushed at him with one mind. When they had driven him out of the city, they began stoning him. And the witnesses laid aside their cloaks at the feet of a young man named Saul. Take note of that. They went on stoning Stephen as he, was called, or as he called on the Lord and said, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. He fell on his knees and cried out with a loud voice, 
Lord, do not hold this sin against them. Having said this, he fell asleep. That's an old-fashioned, euphemistic way to say he, he died, in case you were wondering what happened. So, before I can get into the main thing I want to uh, share my message on today, I need to kind of ask a pre-question, and that is, why martyrdom? Why did Stephen die? Couldn't, couldn't God have done what he wanted to do without having Stephen, without allowing Stephen to be killed? And, and doesn't that kind of seem like a waste? It says at the beginning of the story that Stephen had been uh, used very powerfully of God. Doesn't it seem like a huge waste that at this early stage of the ministry, of his ministry, he's, his life is cut off? It feels like such a waste. Well, I don't know the full answer to the why question. I'm just going to tell you that. I don't know the full answer to that. Um, but what I do know is that historically, for the last 2,000 years, the church has always made the most forward progress in its mission when its leaders suffer, even when they suffer death. You can look through Christian history the last 2,000 years and discover it to be true when the leaders of the Christian church suffer the most, that is when the, 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 the kingdom spreads the most rapidly in the most obvious ways. They, they had this old term, almost as old as, as scripture, they used to say, still say sometimes, the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. The blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. <clears throat> now, I... One, as a little bit of evidence of that being true here in Scripture, you'll notice in verse uh, 58 who, who it was who was kind of one of the ringleaders of this stoning. It was, it was Saul. And we know a couple chapters later what happens to Saul. Saul becomes, he's converted, he becomes Paul and becomes uh, the, the, the missionary used more powerfully than any of the other apostles. Uh, and so... Kind of a little hint, like God, we, we don't know exactly what the connection is between Saul witnessing and even ringleading this whole uh, death of, of Stephen. It's not really clear in the text, but there's something there. Something's going on. The, the author, Luke, wants us to be aware of this connection somehow. Uh, and, and so this question, was there no other way? Isn't there something less wasteful God could have done? Uh, Sure, God could have done this a different way. I don't fully know why, but I will say this. If uh, one of the things Stephen experienced and that I know I don't want to miss out on is that uh, <laughs> Stephen in that moment became, got the honor and the privilege of reenacting the life of Jesus, of imitating the life of Jesus. And when we willingly suffer, whether it's actual martyrdom or whether it's just sort of the daily martyrdom of going through trials and tribulations, we actually get to reenact and imitate the life of Jesus to, to a small degree. And, and it says in Romans 8, 29, Paul writes that imitating Jesus and having a life that looks like Jesus, that's actually the goal of life. That's actually what life is all about. And I don't want to miss out on that. Uh, getting to be spared some suffering and, and uh, being spared freedom isn't worth it to me if I get to somehow look a little more like Jesus in this life. 
So I, that's not a complete answer to the martyrdom question, but just set that aside. The main question I want to ask is even if I don't get a, you know, answer that question, a full answer to that question, why martyrdom, why suffering in general, what, what I do think this text can help us hear is where did Stephen get the uh, inner strength to suffer? Where did Stephen get the inner strength to suffer? Um, uh, and let, let, me, let me just kind of um, break down what I, what I mean by that. Uh, in one of Peter's letters, his first letter, chapter 1, Peter has this crazy statement. He writes in chapter 1, verse 6, In this you rejoice greatly, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials. Anyone get the irony of that? Peter is matching great rejoicing with trials. Those are in the same sentence. Peter is, if most of us think, how can great rejoicing and suffering and trials go together? Peter thought they could somehow. And in fact, we find out when we read through the Bible, all the biblical authors thought they could. They all experienced that. A couple verses later, Peter writes this um, in uh, 1 Peter chapter 1, verses uh, 7 and 8. He says, um, uh, he, he talks about um, these trials. He says, even though you are tested by fire, um, uh, they, you might be found re- they might be found to result in praise, glory, and honor at the revelation of Christ. And though you have, se- you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not see him now, but you believe in him, you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory. Okay, that rejoicing with joy inexpressible, full of glory, Peter's not talking about the joy we'll have when we see Jesus face to face. That's going to be a joy beyond anything that has ever been imagined. Peter's saying, before that, in this life, right now, we can rejoice with a joy inexpressible and full of glory, but it's in the middle of the trials. It's with the trials. Okay, now that, that messes with my brain. I don't know if it messes with your brain. Completely contrary to what our culture is constantly telling us. Uh, so, how, how, did, how did Peter figure that out? How did Stephen figure that out? And, and, and I, I, I'm asking this question because I noticed the way he died. A few things I want to highlight about how he died. First of all, how did, how did Stephen die boldly? He, he makes this bold accusation against his attackers, uh, you know, where he says, you stiff-necked and uncircumcised of heart, you're always resisting the Holy Spirit. How, 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 I mean, in the, if I'm in the face of resistance, I'm like, oh, I'm sorry, Uh, um, okay, you know, I I, want to say whatever it is to try to calm them down, and maybe they won't attack me, you know, that's just kind (laughs) of who I am. How did, how did Stephen be so bold in the midst of the attacks? Um, and then, looking at, at the end, when he, the very last verse of, uh, verse 60, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. Uh, Stephen forgave them, and he asked God to forgive them. He, he, he suffered generously. I don't know about you, but when I suffer, that's when I become the most selfish. Um, when I'm most concerned about my own safety, my own welfare, I, I become more selfish when I suffer. Stephen became more generous when he suffered. How, how did he do that? How did he do that? Um, and then, of course, Stephen died willingly and even 
joyfully. How did he do that? How did he die boldly? How did he die generously? And how did he die willingly? I, I want to know that. And I think this text gives us some clues. Now, the biggest clue, I think, is right here in verse 55. In fact, I think it's the, that's the whole answer. And uh, verse 55, it says, But when he, being full of the Holy Spirit, looked intently into heaven, and he saw the glory of God, and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. That's, that's the ultimate answer. Stephen saw the glory of God in the face of Jesus. But I got to ask another question. How can I, how can we see the glory of God so that we also can endure trials boldly, generously, and joyfully? How can we see the glory of God? Well, there, there's, there's, there's three clues that I want us to pick apart in Stephen's message that I, I think show us how we can die and suffer, die if necessary, but suffer, that's inevitable, how we can do that boldly, generously, and joyfully. The, the, the first clue, the first insight I think we have for how Stephen could do this is that it's clear from Stephen's message that Stephen had been meditating very carefully on the meaning of faith. He'd been meditating very carefully on the meaning of faith. Now, it says back in chapter 6, verse 5, that um, Stephen was full of faith, okay? Uh, and then we, we look throughout his, uh, again, I'm not going to reread his entire message, but what, what I noticed, so, so here, what Stephen did was he rehearsed the history of Israel. Now, his listeners would have known this history very well. They, they probably would have been following right along, uh, had memorized some of the same verses he quotes right here. Uh, but what's interesting is that Stephen spends time really focusing on not just every aspect. He focuses on several specific things. And for example, um, when he talks about Abraham in chapter 7, verse 5, he, he talks about how Abraham was promised this inheritance, but he wasn't actually given any land. And then a little bit later in verse 6, um, he, he's told, Abraham is told by God that his offspring, he, he's promised these offspring is, you know, can't even be counted, there's so much offspring. Uh, he's, he's, he's promised this, but he doesn't have any kids. And then in verse 6, it says that when he does have offspring, they're going to be aliens in a foreign land, and that they would be enslaved and mistreated for 400 years. Uh, now, what this tells me is that uh, Stephen had been meditating on the people in the history of Israel who had to learn how to exercise their faith. Okay? He, he'd been meditating on people like Abraham who were given these lavish promises, but who didn't necessarily see in their own life the, the promises happen, and, and they, they were required because of life circumstances to exercise, practice faith. Does that, does that make sense? We see it again when he mentions Joseph in chapter 7, verses 9 through 10. He talks about Joseph's slavery and imprisonment, and even though Joseph is eventually exalted to be the most second most powerful person in Egypt, 
Uh, Joseph still has to go through uh, betrayal by his brothers, slavery, imprisonment. Uh, and then he spends a lot of time on Moses here. In chapter 7, verses 27 through 29, uh, he, uh, Stephen focuses on how he was initially rejected by his people. Uh, he focuses on how Moses spent 40 years in the wilderness before uh, Moses got to do really anything for God. So again, Stephen is focusing on, he's meditating on faith. He's meditating on the meaning of faith. You know, Jesus had said just before he raised Lazarus from the dead, Jesus told Martha, if you believe, you will see the glory of God. If you believe, you will see the glory of God. And I think what we have here is Stephen living out that faith, even as the stones are coming at him. And, and stoning, by the way, was one of the most horrible ways to die. It's a slow death. You, first you get bruised and bumped, and then you get broken bones, and, and then your internal organs get hit, and just it's this awful, slow, terrible death. Uh, and, and I think Stephen had been meditating a long time on the meaning of faith before this. Okay, the second thing I think Stephen had been meditating on was that he had been meditating on the lordship of Jesus. What do I mean by that? Well, again, by reading, and, and I, I spent a lot of time rereading, rereading, rereading this message he had to the council. Um, he spent a lot of time talking about this, this whole dynamic of God raising up leaders and then the people of God rejecting those leaders and the trouble they got themselves into, uh, but how, how, you know, that whole dynamic. And, and he talks again and again about different leaders. So, for example, chapter 7, verse 9, uh, he talks about Joseph and how Joseph, God raised him up to, be, uh, to lead his, his people and to, that his brothers were going to bow before him, but then his brothers betray him and sell him into slavery. Uh, he spends a lot of time, chapter 7, verses 35 through 39, talking about Moses and how Moses' leadership was rejected, not just once, not just twice, but many times by the people of God. He quotes this, verse 39, our fathers were unwilling to be obedient to him, to Moses, but repudiated him and in their hearts turned back to Egypt. Uh, so again, there's this, he, he, he's emphasizing again and again in his message to the council about how God raises up leaders, but the people of God resist them. And what that tells me is that uh, Stephen, you know, he, there's a lot of things he could have been meditating on about the history of Israel, but he was focusing in on this whole theme of leadership, the leadership that God raises up, and focusing in on what, what does it mean to actually obey that leadership. And so uh, I, I think that because Stephen had been meditating so long and deeply on the leadership, the, the lordship of Jesus Christ, Stephen got something that I think a lot of other people didn't get, and I think a lot of Christians today really have a problem with, really struggle with, which is that, that he understood Jesus was his Lord and Master. He, he didn't want to be like his ancestors who resisted the Holy Spirit, who rejected and repudiated the leadership that God had given him. Stephen wanted to submit himself, surrender himself to Jesus's mastery over his life. And I, I think because Stephen had been meditating on that, when it came time 
you know, the, the, the stones are coming at him. The attack is happening. I think there was something in Stephen where he, he said, oh, okay, God, you're, you're the Lord. He, he, he knew Jesus could have done this differently, but he, he'd been meditating so long and deeply on the lordship of Jesus. He, he was able to say, Jesus, you're the Lord. If, 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 this, is, if this is your ordained end for me, okay, you, you get to decide that because, Jesus, you're the Lord. The third thing, third clue I get from this passage about how Stephen was able to uh, see the glory of God and therefore endure his trial boldly, generously, and joyfully is, I think, Stephen, uh, it's very clear from this text that the Holy Spirit was with Stephen. It, it says this uh, again and again. There's, there's so many scriptures, and I would encourage you in your own time to go back and reread this whole passage, chapter 7. And you'll see again and again, it says, talks about the Holy Spirit. He's full of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's with him. He speaks by the Holy Spirit. Uh, the Holy Spirit just saturates these chapters here, okay? Now, what was happening in Stephen's life at this point was exactly what Jesus had said shortly before this, was going to happen when the Holy Spirit was with his people. In chapter 16 of John, Jesus says this, verses 13 and 14, But when he, the Spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak of his own, but, of his own, own initiative, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will disclose to you what is to come. Now, now this leading us, guiding us into all truth, Stephen, as, we, as I just showed you, had been meditating on truth very deeply. He had memorized truth. He, had, he was saturated with truth. He, he, the reason he spouted off this whole story of the Israelites, because he, he, had, he had so absorbed the truth of it, had been meditating on it so deeply, that it, it, was just, it came flowing out of him when the, when the trial came. And, and so, so the Holy Spirit had been leading him in truth, and, and he believed so strongly in the truth he was willing to risk it all for the truth. He had a willingness to risk it all because he'd, he'd so deeply, uh, he, he so strongly believed in the truth of what he was saying. That's always been the secret of martyrs uh, for, for Jesus uh, throughout the history of the church, uh, is that they're, they're, they're willing to risk it all, willing to give it all up because they, they believe so strongly. There, there's, no, there's no opportunity when you're being stoned, when you're being uh, and, and all the other uh, crazy ways that, that Christians have been killed over the years, there's no, there's no time in the moment to kind of wonder and hesitate. And, oh, is this real? Is this not real? Uh, Stephen had firmly based his life on the reality of, of this truth, okay? But, but then Jesus says this in chapter 16, verse 14 of John. He's, he's saying about, talking about the Holy Spirit still, and he says, and he, the Holy Spirit, shall glorify me. He shall take of mine, and he shall disclose it to you. The Holy Spirit's job is both to lead us into all truth, to the point that we're willing to risk it all for that truth, but the Holy Spirit also, his job is to glorify Jesus. In, in other words, what that means... Oh, what that means is the Holy Spirit takes like a spotlight, and, and if, if there's an actor up on the stage and, and 
they want you to focus just on that actor and not on anything else. They take a spotlight, they turn off all the other lights and they put a spotlight directly on that actor and then your whole focus is that person on the stage. That's what the Holy Spirit does in our lives. Whatever else is going on, whatever else might, diversions we have, distractions we have, whatever pain we're going through, whatever suffering, the Holy Spirit takes a spotlight and he shines it directly on Jesus so that Jesus suddenly has all of our attention. And if we're going through hard things, suddenly, and we don't know how to get through the hard things, suddenly the spotlight of the Holy Spirit shows us Jesus is the good shepherd, and he's going to take you by the hand, and he's going to take you through this hard thing. He's going to get you to that pasture land that you need to go through because he's the good shepherd. When, when, we, are, when we are in darkness, and, and the darkness is overwhelming and even crushing to us, the Holy Spirit, he takes his spotlight and he says, Look at Jesus. He's the light of the world. Everyone who believes in him will, will, will never walk through darkness because he's the light of the world. When, when, our, when our spirit is famished inside of us and, and, and our spirit is thirsty and we're like, I, I, don't, I don't have the inner strength to do this. The Holy Spirit, he takes his Holy Spirit spotlight and he shines it right on Jesus. And, 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 and he says to us, look, there's Jesus. He, if, if you eat of him, He's the bread of life, and if you eat of him, you will never be hungry again. If you drink of him, he's the living water, you will never be thirsty again. Look at Jesus. That, that's what the Holy Spirit does in our life. That's the main thing. Whatever we're going through, whatever God is telling us to do, whatever slings and arrows or stones are coming at us, he takes the spotlight and he points us right to Jesus. And that's exactly what we see happening here in Stephen's life at this at this moment, because the Holy Spirit always, always glorifies Jesus in our lives. So, back to my trip. <laughs> it's boring compared to what I just said about Jesus. <clears throat> my trip in the Grand Canyon. So, here I was. I knew there was a point of no return. Once I get in the Grand Canyon, I'm not coming back. Uh, or I, if, I, if I'm coming back, there's only one way out. <laughs> The pain is increasing, um, and uh, so as soon as we got into the Grand Canyon, the very thing I was hoping would happen began to happen. I became swept up into the beauty, the inexpressible beauty all around me. Um, now, I, with lower back pain, you can't go crazy, you can't just like pretend like it's not there. I, I, had to, I was very aware of the pain constantly. I had to nurse it. I had to care for it. I had to do a bunch of these little stretches and warm-ups and things to kind of manage the pain and, and get through it. Had to sort of nurse it along. Um, and, and I also had to be careful, you know, about lifting things. And, and uh, my son got his first, uh, <laughs> his first experience of helping out an old man. Uh, uh, his, his old man, literally, um, <clears throat> uh, carrying things for me and so on. Um, but even though that was true, the grandeur of the Grand Canyon so completely blew me away that in addition, I was feeling the pain and my heart was exploding with awe at what was going on around me. My, every, people made fun of me because I was, I was doing this the whole time. And, you know, people, even the people me to row the boat were like, Andrew, get back to the boat. Like, we're going through rapids. Get back to the boat. Oh, okay. Because I was... Was my, I, my eyes were so transfixed by the beauty around me. It, it, it was a little hint of what Paul writes about 
in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, where Paul says, Therefore, do not lose heart. But though our outer man is decaying, and I was feeling that decay, by the way, yet our inner man is being renewed day by day. For momentary light affliction. Now, if you've read the context of what Paul was writing here, these, these afflictions were not momentary. They were not light. But listen to what Paul writes. This momentary light pr- uh, affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. While we look not at the things which are seen, but the things which are not seen. Now, my, my pain didn't disappear. It was there with me the whole time. But in comparison, the weight of glory of the Grand Canyon, my pain felt so minuscule, so minor in comparison to that weight. In the same way, if we would let the Holy Spirit open our eyes and see the glory of God. That's not going to make your pain disappear. It's not going to prevent you from getting stones thrown at you and even possibly giving your life for Jesus. But And you will be able to say, like Stephen said, yes, God, yes. You, like Stephen, will be able, if you've been meditating on faith, if you've been meditating on the Lordship of Jesus Christ, and if the Holy Spirit is with you, then like Stephen, you too can be swept up into that glory. Trials can feel momentary in light in comparison to the weight of that glory. So let's celebrate the weight of that glory right now. We, we get to actually, did you know Christians get to celebrate day? Not just mornings. In fact, all even while you're in pain, you get to celebrate Let's have the worship team coming up. This first song is about blessing his glorious name. Let's celebrate the glory of God together. God, we need to move. We need you to move on us, Lord. Whether we're facing actual martyrdom or, or we're facing the, the daily martyrdom of, of life, having to die to ourselves and live for you, we, we pray, Lord God, for the grace to, Lord, walk with you, to be in you, to be of you. Lord, we pray that you would show us the glory of God in the face of Jesus that our lives could reflect you, that our lives could radiate your goodness out into the world around us. So now as you go from this place and you radiate the glory and beauty of God to the world around you, may you go faith in the Father under the Lordship of Jesus Christ and with the Holy Spirit and his power. Go and radiate 
the life of God to the world around you. Amen.